Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet, the host of Animal Tales, and I'd like to welcome you to our new series, Animal Tales Presents Doggone Good Information. And my co-host, Tommy Fahey. Hi, Tommy. Good morning, Heidi. How are you? I'm great. It's an early morning, isn't it? <laughs> it's a very early morning. The sun's just coming out here in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, yeah, so you're just... an hour behind, so yeah. Yep. So, All right. Yeah. Bright and early. I'm ready so, to be here. <laughs> yeah, I see that with those eyes wide open, right? A little uh, caffeine jolt. You know, it's <laughs> funny. I was just, as I'm talking, uh, saying, you know, the intro, I hear my announcer voice, my co-host, Tommy Fahey. Oh, yes. <laughs> I can't help myself. and uh, You can't take the entertainment out of the girl. I'm actually going this week. I got a last minute call to go announce a circus. Some friends of mine, I've known the gal and said she was a little girl and now it's her daughters and their children. And so the Royal Hannaford Circus. So I'm going back to my announcer voice. So maybe that's why it's in my brain this morning. <laughs> yeah, you're getting ready. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited up in Tallahassee, Florida. So um, it'll I'll, I'll put something online about it on the Animal Tales Every so once Tommy, in a while I pull out my announcer voice also, and it scares people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It works well for training, though. The reality oh, yes. is, I'm probably a decent announcer because I grew up as a trainer and with my parents. And my father and grandfather were both what they called in the day equestrian directors, which meant they were typically the horse trainer for the circus and various other animals camels, llamas, the dogs, all of that. But they also were the, the ringmasters in many cases and the performance director. Talk about a catch-all title, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A little bit of everything. Yeah. So it those, you know, we talk about training a lot on this podcast. It's, it's a big part of what it is. But we're also talking about the culture of animal training and particularly our wheelhouse, dogs and horses. But it really does... I mean, the voice and the tone and the body language of leadership is so important. So not surprisingly that both of us as professional trainers uh, have that, you know, we, we come to the table ready and big and, you know, our energy because it's what we're used to doing day in and day out. And we know it's what's effective with people and with animals, right? Yep. I call it chutzpah. You got to have some chutzpah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you do have to have some chutzpah. So how's been, how's your week been? What what uh, any fun stories to share? Yeah, it has been a very busy week um, here in Springfield. I'm getting ready to head uh, over to Oklahoma to a horse show. So we've got our first uh, rated horse show. Uh, so we're in the USDF, United States Dressage Federation. Oh, okay. Um, so I have a client going to a show this weekend. So that's been exciting. Getting ready for that. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. fun. I hope uh, uh, Oklahoma behaves weather-wise. It's spring. It's it's supposed to be very nice this weekend. We're it's supposed to be just mid sixties and uh, nice and and mild. So oh, perfect for the best on that one. Yeah, yeah, that works. That works. Uh, Good. Yeah. So I I saw something interesting this week. I I hadn't heard before. Um, a vet, a woman was complaining to her vet, and this is this is a commonplace issue. I'm finding out as I venture more outside with my dogs because when I train, I kind of do it internally. I have a backyard I train in, 
And then I take them out for walks, especially Otis, this new dog I have, has to go for walks. He's a big standard poodle. Trooper, my little multi-poo, I could sit on the couch, play fetch with him five times. <laughs> He's got his exercise. We're both happy. He curls up beside He's good me. good to go. So now yeah. I'm venturing out into the dog world with other people, and my uh, intern gal, Patty, uh, has, has kind of brought more to the table for me that I, I really wasn't aware of. And one of the things, a woman's at the vet talking to a story I read, talking to the vet about the fact that people, her dog is old and grumpy and he doesn't, he doesn't need or want other people, other dogs to come up to him. You know, people come up to dogs like they've never seen one before. Oh my gosh, look at this dog. And then the kids bend down, put their face in the dog's face, all the things that terrify me. And uh, so she's like, I can't keep people away from my dog. My dog doesn't want it. I personally don't want it, but I'm out trying to get my dog some exercise. And so they said, and you'll appreciate this in the horse world, put a yellow ribbon on your dog. And I think the ribbon's actually supposed to say, um, don't approach or something like that. And why I say that in the horse world, what do you put a red ribbon in a horse's tail that kicks? Yep, Exactly. Yeah, so I think I'm liking that, and I don't know if it's out there. You know, if you're watching this and, and you know about this, let us know. I'm really curious. You can email animaltalespodcast at gmail and uh, also go on the YouTube or the Facebook link and comment. But uh, I didn't know this, but I'm loving it. I'm I'm actually, I don't believe in fake service dogs, but I want Otis to learn to be a service dog. And uh, I'm thinking about getting the vest that says, don't pet or touch me. I'm in training. You know that? Yeah. Not yeah. so I could do anything untoward or go places I shouldn't, but just because, like, just kind of leave us alone. And if, if I need to socialize and want to socialize with the dog, I will find those opportunities. Yeah. I saw a very similar clip um, I'm on TikTok, um, and the, the lady was talking about walking her dog in the park. And she says, uh, when she passes somebody or so, she sees somebody approaching, she says, he's not friendly. He's not friendly. <laughs> and the dog yeah. is not unfriendly. She just doesn't want to deal with anybody coming up. Yeah. And I thought, that's brilliant. There's no reason not to. And it but, really is, you know, I hope this podcast, we have fun with it. We offer some really good training advice. Uh, but I do hope one of the things people will take away is that don't, don't allow your dog to visit or go to another dog, especially on these extend leashes when, you know, assume you shouldn't, I would say yes. err the other way, just assume you shouldn't. That's the, how I grew up. And it was, it was the right way to train. Uh, unless we said, Oh, let's get our dogs together. Do that type of thing. Most dog problems people are having are over socialization. And all I hear online is I got to socialize. I got to socialize, need opportunities. People talk about the COVID dogs, the pandemic. Uh-huh. Frankly, we should have come out of the pandemic with fantastically trained dogs. It was you and your dog. It, it I mean, that is the perfect training scenario. We can always socialize, right? We can find those opportunities. And by the way, even during COVID, Sit six feet apart, and if you have a dog that plays with your dog, you know, I, I, I never got that. Like, lock your doors and stay inside and, you know, fresh air and sunshine yeah. and, you know. It's, it's, a, a, it's a people going to extremes. 
Well, yeah. We, we live in in the 10 or the 1, right? <laughs> we don't live in the 5. And yeah. that's what we need to the be middle, working on. The, the it's uncomfortable middle. the middle, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I... Um, so I kind of segued into a lot of stuff there, but so I love the ribbon idea and I'm going to, I'm going to do some more homework on that. And I may have, <laughs> my dog's going to be walking down the street with ribbons all over <laughs> just in case they miss it. Right. One on the Can collar, one on the tail. <laughs> Can I get a ribbon for myself? <laughs> well, that's, that's what the woman said. Cause she's an older gal, her dog, she's, her dog's grown old. She's, she, you know, by herself. She's like, I don't want to socialize either. So she kind of kiddingly <laughs> says, my dog's going to wear the ribbon and I'm going to wear one. So that'd be great. We're going to opt out. I thought, I just thought that was a great story. Um, also, oh gosh, I think I sent this to you, but I found my new jam. Uh, this is totally where I'm going to go with my training. I, um, I have a saying to my clients, especially the ones, and these are a lot of them that have, too big a dog or too much energy. And by the way, this is a teaser to our main topic today is what, what type of dog should you choose and where should you get it? So these dogs have way too much energy and you know that people will take them for a walk, but that doesn't really do it. Right. And they're not mentally tired either. So yeah. I'm, I'm online looking cause I'm going to have Otis pull a cart. I'm going to make him like a little, like a mini horse. I'm going to make him a little harness and have him okay. pull a little cart. My mom used to do it with her Great Dane and then another big dog she had. It pulled a little circus wagon, of course. Um, of course. Yeah. And uh, so I want Otis to pull a cart. He's a big 65-pound dog. Like with our lawn chairs or cooler, even with Trooper, my other little dog. So I'm, yeah. I'm researching some stuff. I, I'm going to make it myself, but I was seeing what's out there. And I come across a dog scooter. So... Uh, the premise of this is it's somebody who I, I believe lives up north who is familiar with like mushing dogs or uh, sled dogs, right? Uh-huh. So it's a scooter, but it I'll put it in show notes. It has an attachment. So your dog is attached in, right? They're hooked in on both sides of the harness. So they can't run, like get away from you. So if you're on a bike, which I've done with dogs, and I am not a good bike rider, it's really dangerous, right? You're clipping along, yes. the dog's running forward, and then he goes, oh, squirrel, that way. Uh -huh. <laughs> You're like into your bike or your bike gets pulled. Goodbye. Even a three-wheeler I was trying for a client, I was a total klutz. This thing is the coolest thing I've ever seen, and it can be. it's propelled by the dog. So if you have a dog who wants to go, and again, my training, I always say to people, get a skateboard and enjoy the ride if you're not going to train that dog not to pull. Because yeah. it will pull you, you know, along. And lo and behold, I came across the perfect, the perfect <laughs> piece of equipment. And I don't know if you saw it online. It is a riot. These dogs are running. Just go. I'd be going too fast. Actually, I would probably be a little scared on the scooter. Yeah, I'm a chicken. Have some good brakes. <laughs> well, they do. Yes, he talks a lot <laughs> about the brakes. It's a guy out of Oregon, I think. And uh, so. Really cool. I'll put it in show notes, but that's, I, so I told them to send me one. I'll write it around, right? Use clients, uh -huh. dogs, whatever. And then I'll sell them for you because uh, yeah. what a fun way to get ready to go, you know, get your dog some exercise. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. I'm so. have to get, do they make a, a Jack Russell sized one? <laughs> 
I think you'll be doing the work. Yeah. yeah. Jimmy Dean is not not going to be, he's going to be like, uh, no, Tommy, I don't think so. It lasts for about two minutes and then he'd be done. No, here's, here's your scooter. Jimmy Dean on the scooter with a nice little pad laying down and Tommy <laughs> pushing <Yes>. the scooter. <laughs> uh, that that's Trooper right. too, right? Uh-huh. Uh, I, I always think of the horse trailer commercial. I think it, I think it was Ford, but it shows horses pulling a wagon, right? In the, in the old yeah. days. Right. And then, uh, Fast forward, and it shows the horses getting in their wagon, their trailer, being pulled off by a pickup truck. I think of that commercial all the time, how we've changed from (laughs) the work animals to, let me me transport you around the country. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Oh, boy. Too much. These are the fun things, though, because there's uh, a lot that, you know, not so fun and some serious stuff on the animal training front, but. Before I become Always. a Debbie Downer, anything else you want to <laughs> share about the week? Uh, so this goes in kind of to the, the topic we're, we're going to hit and address uh, in, in the main section is uh, choosing your dog. And, and this is less about um, choosing a breed specifically, but choosing whether or not to spay or neuter. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I, I had this come up with two different people this week. Um, one is a good friend of mine. She's actually an equine vet and, uh, she has a really cute little dachshund, um, really nice little dog. He's about a year and a half old and, uh, he's an intact male and he rides around in the, in the truck with her. She goes farm to farm doing her, her equine veterinary work. And I saw her at the farm the other day and she says, oh, my dog is just, you know, he's been so good for a year and a half. And now he's starting to tear things up. He's starting to, you know, not listen as well. He's getting into things while he's in the, in the truck. He's causing all these problems. (laughs) And I looked at him and I said, is he still intact? She goes, yeah. And I said, don't you think that might be part of the problem here? She goes, well, yeah. And I said, <laughs> don't you know you can fix that? <laughs> she goes, well, yeah, but but then I couldn't breed him. Right. And I said, yeah, you're right. Do you want to breed him? Well, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what it came down to is that she's emotionally attached to the idea of making more of her own dog, right? Yeah. And so it's an emotional decision. And and I bring it up because professionals are not infallible, right? We're, we're still human. Yeah. We still, uh, when, when it's our own animals, sometimes we look at things uh, with a, a rose-colored glasses and, and forget, you know, what we might tell another client or something. But I thought that was just really funny. She goes, well, yeah, I, I know I could neuter him, but I just don't know if I want to. Interesting. Uh, yeah, but she she really didn't actually want to breed him either. Yeah. Uh, so I said, well, there's the solution to your problem. You're you're sitting here with a thousand problems to the solution, but here's the solution. Right. Uh, yeah. Is, she, and then is I had he a, trained? I, is he well behaved, or is he? He is very well behaved. Okay. Um, and and very well trained, um, but he's starting to question things. Right. You know, he's starting. He's like I said, a year and a half about, and so starting to get those hormones are starting to, to, you know, 
it yeah. start to be a problem. And he's starting to have a little bigger opinion about what he should and shouldn't do. And, <laughs> um, which is, you know, par for the course with an right. intact yeah. Uh, yeah. breeding animal uh, coming of age. So um, there are solutions to these problems, but we have right. to look at them not with emotion. Um, yeah. And then I had an, another client who was telling me about, uh, she has a Glen of a mall terrier. Hmm. Have you ever heard of this? I have not. I, it was a new one for me. Uh, it's a very rare breed. It comes from Ireland. Uh, they're a, kind of a small to medium sized uh, terrier hunting dog. Um, and oh, so boy. she, yeah. That, that uh, says it all right there. Drive. And yep. chances are he's not hunting. <laughs> he's he's, he's not hunting. Um, but again, she, she's got him very well trained. He's, he's doing, uh, you know, really, gr uh, uh, he's a well-behaved dog and, and well-handled. Um, but she actually wants to start a breeding program. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that was her, her goal in getting the dog. And so she said to me, um, you know, he's probably around the same age range coming about two years old and, and ready to start, uh, their breeding program. And she said, well, we're not going to breed him yet until we do uh, x-rays. So we're going to oh, do nice. hip x-rays. Yep. Make sure that we don't have hip dysplasia and other mm -hmm. uh, genetic disorders. And then this breed also is known for a particular genetic disorder um, that they can do a, a test for. So she said, we're going to get that done before we ever breed him. Oh, wow. Awesome. So I thought, well, that's a really responsible, yeah. you know, she, she doesn't really want to have a commercial operation. She wants to keep it fairly small. Um, but she's still going about it using best practices, which is one of my favorite terms. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so I thought that was a, a really interesting, uh, dichotomy to the two stories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, our position for those listening on spay and neuter, absolutely. As you just articulated that it is definitely a good plan for, for some dogs, and I get the shelter dogs being spayed and neuter. We don't, you know, we don't want to perpetuate these animals. They really don't. The shelters don't have the funds to do these x-rays and check out, you know, whether or not they should be perpetuated, whether we want to reproduce. So that's fine. The challenge is if we spay and neuter every pet and we don't, we're putting breeders out of business or vilifying them. We, we've got nothing left in a few generations because exactly. there's... Other than some really bad, uh, you know, some of the dog fighting breeds kind of thing. And the ones we probably don't want, you know, feral dogs from other countries. So we, we really have to think about that. I, uh, I'm, I'm a fan of breeders who do a good job. I just come to it from the place of if, if we do a good job, we should be able to do what we do. And breeders are high, highly regulated. So yeah. I don't have a big problem with that. Yeah. And it's, it's a choice, right? It's, it's one of our, our freedoms be. and our choices that we're able to decide for ourselves. And as long as you're doing it with best practices and good intentions, there's nothing wrong with it. I had a, a golden retriever and this is years ago. So my kids are in their thirties, my son. So this is probably 20 years ago, maybe more, 25 years ago had a golden retriever and uh, got her from a breeder, my daughter's dog, Cinnamon. She was in on the show in Ringling Brothers. She was amazing, a fabulous dog. And she was intact because I wanted to have puppies with the kids one time because I'd grown up with that. 
and I I selected a male. I you know I paid for the stud fee, and he, they had all his X rays and that. I had her checked, so uh, we ended up having a litter. It was one of the best things we ever did. My son, I think it was his first girlfriends too, because all the little girls would get off the bus and come home with him. To, we had puppy holding time. <laughs> <laughs> it was great, but uh, before we had the puppies, when she was growing up. My vet just badgered me to to uh, fix her, you know, to spay yeah. her. And because the county was pushing hard, this was Orlando, so Orange County, Florida. And it just really ticked me off. I ended up, at one point, I changed vets. So it was like, you know, I'm, I'm a very responsible animal owner. And uh, yeah. I made this choice. And I plan to follow through, you know, and make sure she gets her vet checks and that kind of thing. And it just, they hounded me on it. And I know they do that to people now. So it's, we should have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm Heidi Harriet. I'm talking with Tommy Fahey, Dog on Good Information podcast. So we're getting ready to head into our main topic today. And Tommy and I have talked a lot about this on the podcast and, and conversations we've had prior to doing the podcast. This is now our outlet for these conversations. <laughs> about how to select a dog and how to get the right dog. And there's a lot of, one, there are some, there are options, believe it or not, and considerations. So we'll, we'll jump into that on, on how to select a dog. And we'll start that by telling you that the number, the most popular dog in the United States right now, according to the American Kennel Club and other, other sources, is the Frenchie, the French Bulldog. And it has passed the Labrador Retriever, which has been in the top, been the top dog for years, you know, years now. 30 years, 35 yeah. maybe. I thought, yeah, yeah, I thought that was right. I was hesitant to say it because it sounded crazy, but I believe you're right. And it makes total sense. They're, they're just great dogs. So, so the little Frenchie Bulldog is now the, uh, I think they call them Frenchies. And I've trained a uh -huh. few of these and they're cute little dogs. I heard a call couple stories yesterday when I was at training horses with a gal who just had one she put down, little June, cute little girl. And then another lady who was at the farm had had one as well. And they both said that when they get mad or nervous, they would either pee or crap in the house, which was interesting. Uh -huh. And I wasn't aware of that. The ones I've worked, I haven't worked with that many, but they're, uh, they're certainly cute little dogs. They do, I know they snore a little bit. You know. Yeah, they have the the <laughs> they call it brachiocephalic nose. Oh uh, well, the, there's the, the scientific term. Heidi yeah. would just say they snore a bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why you're the on the podcast. Face. <laughs> yes, I had a Shih Tzu who did that. I had to wake him up in the middle of the night. Oreo, stop, because he would yeah. snore so loud it would wake me up. So, yep. how do you choose the right dog? So you you look at that and say, oh, that's the most popular breed. I need that dog. Well. Let's dive a little deeper into that. But first, let's figure out your source of dogs. Where are you sourcing your dog from? So you have the options of the shelters, rescues, the breeders, and then a pet store if they haven't banned it in your area. Mm -hmm. So, Tommy, I'll let you pick it up from there, what your thought is on how people should start sourcing their dog or looking and, you know, when they're ready. So let's, let, we'll talk more about that too, what readiness for a pet means. Yeah. So there, there's not a one size fits all answer for this question. There is no silver bullet here. 
Right. Uh, some, some people are going to do great going to a shelter or through a rescue to get a dog, um, and they'll be just fine. Uh, but some people, it's okay to go to a breeder and know exactly what you're getting. We touched on this in a previous episode, um, talking about, you know, kind of the baggage that you can get from some of the shelter dogs, um, or going to a breeder and getting, knowing exactly what you're getting, knowing exactly what the generations before it were, um, knowing what health concerns you might come up with, uh, knowing what behavior problems you may have, things like that. So keep in mind, there is no one particular perfect answer for this. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, that's a big thing. I think we're guilted into the idea of, we've talked about before, adopt, don't shop. We're guilted into this idea that we have to go rescue the animals. Uh, and I, I always kind of chuckle with that. It's, <laughs> I, I, it really... I didn't mean to be rude, but when you said that on the last episode, and I, you know, watch these episodes after they come out, and you said, "Did you did you rescue that dog from a burning building?" <laughs> it yes. just struck me. It's not funny. There's nothing funny about that, but it proves your point about make drives that point home that in fact, are you really rescue? You went and bought purchased this dog somewhere, paid for this dog. Yes. And, yeah. It, it's all about the wording that we use, right? And it's all it's all marketing, really. Uh, when, you, when you get down to the core of it. And uh, it's worked. And it's been very effective. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we're kind of tricked into it because of this really good marketing campaign and because of these particular, the way we word things. And now uh, the, the t term rescue has now become almost a breed signifier. Mm -hmm. You see, what kind of dog is that? Oh, he's a rescue. Well, what does that even mean? Good point. Yeah. So it it's lost. The, the word has really lost its definition. It's a uh, word I really have a hard time using. Also I, yeah, the word I puppy mill. I just, it's not that there aren't those scenarios out there where somebody did take a dog from a really bad situation and hence rescued them, you know, got them out of there. They And there are terrible people who just, breed puppies because they know they're going to make some money out of it. They don't do the shots, the vet work. They don't do it properly. So yeah. there are those, but that's not indicative of the entire industry. And that's, that's where we, I part yeah. company with folks who fall in line with these. So probably because I put hashtags out there for best practices and dog training and stuff, my social media big brother is filling up with dog trainers and suggestions. Everybody's trying to sell me their dog training program now. So, okay. but there are a few I've started watching that I really like some of these dog trainers who don't, don't just go out and say, I train with positive reinforcement and mm -hmm. they, they actually have a credible methodology and whether or not they say operate conditioning, but they understand there's a yin to the yang. So I'm watching one today and he's funny, uh, or I was watching one the other day, a uh, guy probably about my age and uh, up there in years bit. And he's, he's, he's very uh, rural minded and you can see his location and he's got this like obstacle course, but it's literally like a giant uh, water tub turned upside down with some boards going across it, some bricks making steps. And it works great. I actually was like yeah. to my husband, there you go. You don't have to spend a lot of money. We just we use what we have. 
And I want to say his name is Stoney, and I'm going to look him up, and I'll share it on my social media because I was impressed. So he's he's got the dog, and he's talking about training as he's walking the dog through these obstacles and up and down, which is exactly what we do. We're still training. We can, I could be looking at you talking about my energy focused on the dog and the dog's moving. And he says, you know, choosing the right kind of dog. Same thing we're talking about. You, you get a dog from where you feel you need a dog from when you've done your homework. But he's funny because he's very so matter of fact. And he, he has a lab who's just like all over him. Like, you know, what would you like me to do next? We all love those uh-huh. kind of animals. We have horses like oh, that yeah. sometimes. The ones who are like, oh, yeah, make me. And the other ones are like, what can I do next? Did you like that? I'll show you this. Let me do this. So he's got a lab that he's walking with. And he'll pull out a little treat occasionally, like a lure. But he doesn't treat train. And he said, here's the deal. First of all, not all dogs are treat motivated. Uh, yes, because Otis, you can't, you can't force a treat on him and oh. treats are only used for me in the early stages of a really nervous dog that might like a treat to just make them a little more comfortable and a little motivating or a puppy. Other than that, our family doesn't use treats in training and we always get the job done. So he goes on to talk about how that as you're training and I jumped into a little training bit here, but how to choose the right dog that, yeah, use the treat a little bit if you need it. But he said, choose the dog you want. If you're not a person who wants to go running or walking for miles, and get a small dog, you know, get a dog that doesn't need a lot of exercise. But if you don't want to train a dog, but you want a dog in your life, get a dog like this, who's just going to be compliant, right? It's like giving birth to the perfect child, right? They're just compliant and wonderful and barely step out of line. Versus getting a border collie or a hunting dog or one of the big, more aggressive breeds that you really have to stay on top of and make sure your training is good and your leadership. So I thought that was really interesting and never really heard it put that way. Like really consider, of course, consider the type of dog. We talk about that all the time, but I I never thought about the fact that if you want a dog who's just going to go along with your program, which was my golden retriever, Cinnamon, Although it did take a while to train her. She was, you know, she was busy and uh, uh, two yeah. years because I didn't know they jump and do, all, you know, they're, they're aggressive, uh, not aggressive, uh, excitable. And I, now I see a lot of golden retrievers who never get settled down. Training yeah. tip, you can settle your dogs down. It's exactly the equivalent of having a child who gets really fired up, running around with other kids, whatever, and it goes up, 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 and then you finally say, okay, time to sit down. You're going to sit on the couch. You're going to color. You're going to, you can watch a movie, whatever. You bring them down, and it's not forcing it on them, but it's saying this is, there's no option here. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. People will play Frisbee with their dog. I had a friend who did this and um, said, my dog won't ever stop. And I said, just stop them. Take the frisbee yes. away. Say nope. Go lay down. We're done. You need a you need a break. You need to catch your breath. Get your mind back because you're ah. so. Yes. Okay. So now back to choices of dogs. That's a little bit of that. Uh, golden retriever. Gonna want to play. They definitely want interaction with you. And yeah, if you don't, social. yeah, highly social. If you don't want a dog who wants interaction, get a cat. Yeah, there you go. There's all the cat lovers out there. Cats are, uh, 
cats are just doing their own thing. And there are a lot of really neat cats. I'm not ragging on cats at all, but they're much more independent and most often times require less of us to interact yes. with them. So yeah, could, yes. uh, so okay, whether you get it from a shelter, breeder, pet store, if you're still allowed to do that, you can, in, in the breeder and the pet store, you should be getting more of the lineage of the dog, where it came from. You can ask about whether there's any hereditary diseases or function, you know, with the hips, that type of thing. Breeders most often, and I believe this is true for a lot of pet stores, I, I can't speak to the, the bulk of it, breeders will require you to bring the, get the dog back to them if it's not working out for you. Yep. And I, I really they appreciate their, that. Yeah, they put in their contracts uh, first right of refusal. Yeah. Uh, so that, or a buyback option. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, yeah, if the dog is ever going to be rehomed or sold, it goes back to the breeder first. And that goes back to a woman writing online recently in this ridiculous thread of 500 people that don't, don't go to breeders. Their shelters are full of purebred pets. And I, I chimed in and was like, where, where do you live? Because yeah. I don't know any place where the shelters are full of purebred pets. I know that shelters around us would love that because they'd have, you know, reasonable dogs to adopt out. Okay. So yeah. back to the shelters now, there's a lot of bully breeds in the shelters. It is what it is. It's, it's very troubling. It's a dilemma that needs to be addressed and I know a lot of people are working on this how to how to cut that population down because they are being bred for dog dog fighting rings and stuff like that so it or people in parts of the country and not to call it out but the south is one where people are more willing to let their pets roam they procreate they don't get spayed or neutered as much so those shelters get busy but they're not all the kind of dogs a family wants to bring into the into the mix. So you you have some options. And as far as breeds, you have to think about shedding, whether or not you want a dog who sheds, whether or not you want a big dog or a little dog or a medium-sized dog, whether it's a, a dog that requires a lot of training and needs a job. For example, Border Collie comes to mind and Aussie as well. Uh-huh. High drive. Yeah. And uh, now hound dogs are becoming popular. I find that interesting. I find them to be lovable dogs in if they're if they're brought up right. If they're if they're raised in a scenario where they've been hunting dogs and stayed in their kennels, I don't have a problem with that. But they're not necessarily lovable, huggable dogs. They're just kind of doing their thing. Yeah. But they have a they have a really interesting bark sometimes, and they like to hear it. And they want everybody yes. else to hear it. Yes, that's one of the biggest. Use it. Yeah, one of the biggest problems I see with those dogs is they 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 have a penchant to want to bark, and yes. that could be problematic if you're just living in a suburb or you know in a neighborhood, and none of us really want our dogs to bark. But it's a whole different scenario when the houses are ten feet apart. Yeah, well, I think that brings us around to kind of a really good point as far as how to select the dog. And I think a big part of that is looking at the breed that you're, whatever breed is interesting to you, really look at how that dog, how that breed was developed. What is their history? What is, you know, why, why was that breed purpose bred? Um, 
because that's going to come out in your day-to-day -day life. So yeah, for, for sure. for example, I, I always bring up Jimmy Dean. <laughs> that's Let's my, work him back into the conversation. Yeah, Let's work the Jack Russell. Or short legged. What's it? Is, are they called a pudgy or what's the word? Uh, the short leg. Jack. What is it? Puddin. Puddin. Oh, like, of course. Puddin. puddin. Yeah. Or a shorty Jack. Okay. Uh, yeah. So he's, he's a little shorter than your average Jack Russell Terrier. He's only um, maybe like 10 inches tall. Um, he's just a little smaller. Um, but you have to know. The Jack Russells were bred to be hunting dogs, yes. hunting uh, mice and rodents. They're meant to go down in holes, dig holes, uh, things like that. Um, so they can be a really high drive sort of dog. Um, and then along with that, so then you have to know he has a docked tail. And that is a traditional, uh, you know, breed standard. Well, where did that come from? we didn't just start chopping their tails off because we didn't like them. It was actually because as the Jack Russells dig down into a burrow of a rodent or, or something like that, sometimes you need to reach in and get them. So by docking the tail, you get a handle basically at the base <laughs> of the tail. So you don't grab the tip of the tail that you could actually injure, but you grab closer up uh, to the body and you're actually able to pull them out of holes and things when they get stuck or if they oh go after goodness. something that was too big for them. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why you might dock a, a dog's tail. Yeah. Uh, so you need to know, th the point of this is that you need to know when you're looking at a particular breed, you need to know what they were developed for, what were what was bred into them, not in the last 20 years, but in the last 100, 200 years. Yeah, uh, because that really comes out in their personalities. It does. I couldn't agree more. And I, I would take on training of any of them, but you are, my training program follows the same line for, you know, all the animals in horses and dogs. However, I'm very cognizant of what they bring to the table. And gosh, with the internet now, you can research this stuff very easily you can reach out to breeders and people will say, you know, it's way too expensive breeders. And I get that. I may not be in a position to spend that kind of money or be raising kids and that, but understand that it comes with a lot. It, it comes with more information and resources. So that's yeah. a choice you make. And a lot of breeders will even talk to you about the breed, even if they don't, you don't buy their dog, right? Yeah. Or purchase and, their, and they, may they want the breed to be better. It. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. They want the right people to get their dogs. And so here's how you distinguish a a good breeder from one that may not do it professionally. The good breeder again usually has a buyback or a first right of refusal in a in a contract. They actually have mm -hmm. a contract because they want to make the breed better, want the standard to stay high. And so they they have the parents or they know the parents' lineage and that type of stuff doesn't mean somebody who breeds occasionally and sells some dogs is terrible. It just means that's one way you distinguish what that looks like. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's really important. I have this on my website because I did a uh, iHeartRadio piece on this about how to choose the right dog. We were talking about giving a dog as a pet, which I don't think is ever giving a dog as a gift. I'm sorry which I don't think yeah. is ever a good idea. 
And even if you're going to do that, it's somebody's birthday or Christmas or whatever, you probably don't want to do it, certainly on Christmas, if you're going to do that, you know, give all the supplies and the book on training or whatever, and then go get the dog when it's calmed down. The absolute worst thing you could do is bring a puppy or an older dog who's really fearful or nervous into a, the biggest chaotic day of the, the year for you uh-huh. if you're a family who celebrates it and has chaos. So, you know, think about that as well. But the, the website, animaltalespodcast.com, has a whole section in the dog training on how to choose a dog and what to think about. There's costs, boy, before you even think about the breeds, think about whether you can afford a dog. I'm going through it right now with Otis, who was from a rescue. And I did that for a couple reasons. I wanted to, I talk about it. I wanted to go through the experience and it's, it's become quite expensive. And uh, I am for the most part, absorbing those costs. And I don't begrudge the the rescue on that. They're volunteer folks doing good work. But I think about, and I, I can't afford to do it at this point in my life. I've worked hard. I get to make some choices on things from making good decisions in the past. But I think about a family bringing a dog like this on and then the cost associated with it. I just bought the, the flea yeah. and tick and the heartworm medicine. He's it's a big expensive. dog. It was like 400 bucks. Basically, uh-huh. you know, tw- what is it? 20 bucks a month, you know, a little more than that. So yeah, it's, it's expensive to, uh, to go down this road, to purchase them, to take care of them, all the supplies you need. And I don't buy the extras. I don't buy coats. I don't buy collars or all that extra stuff. So something to consider. I don't know if you want to wrap it outfits. up. Yeah. We <laughs> don't, we don't have the outfits and cute harnesses. I have functional stuff. And yeah, I'm like same. that with my horses too. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I just need functional. I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm a, I'm a performer. When I dress them up, we go big, but yes. I usually do that when I'm getting paid. So there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So wrap think, this uh, up for us, Tommy. To, to that point, when you're, when you're looking at, at getting a dog and especially if you're a first time dog owner um, or maybe not very experienced, I would say you need to do a lot of research. Um, and not only getting online and, and just reading through articles and looking at uh, breed registries and that kind of thing, but actually go talk to breeders, go talk to, you know, go to the shelter and don't bring home a dog. Just go look and see what dogs are there. Talk to the people at the shelter, ask them what kind of dogs they get in, ask them how they, you know, what's their rate of return, what dogs come back, what dogs don't come back. Um, and then another big one is, especially if you don't already, um, if, if you're not an experienced dog owner is call a, a local veterinarian, set oh, up good a time, idea. Yeah. pay for a consultation, go in, spend 20, 30 minutes, be honest about your situation, honest about how much time you have, honest about what your budget is and ask for suggestions on what type of dog might be appropriate for you um, and really get an idea. Um, it's, it's not difficult for the veterinary clinic to do a cost estimate of like annual uh, cost, annual vaccines, yeah. parasite control, um, look at how much a spay and neuter might, might cost you, all of these kinds of things. And then also ask, because a lot of breeds have very specific issues. So, uh, 
like uh, your your cocker spaniels are known for having skin conditions, ear infections, yeah. uh, anal gland issues. There are a lot of dogs that have food allergies. That's become a really big problem, hot topic in the last several years. Yeah. Um, so go spend big the money dogs to with pay their for hips. a consultation. Yeah. yeah, you've got hip dysplasia. Um, so take some time, really do the research and ask people for advice. Ask the people that are not trying to sell you something. Yeah. So, you know, don't don't go talk to a breeder that's trying to shove a dog down your throat. Uh, don't try to talk to a shelter necessarily that's, oh, you have to get this dog. This dog really needs your help. Yeah. No, talk to some talk to a third party. Call a trainer. Find a local trainer that Tommy uh, or Heidi. Yeah, absolutely. Contact us. Yeah. Um, but in that conversation, I think the, the big thing is be really open and honest about what your real situation is. Yeah, because this know. is a long term. This is a long term yeah. deal. Exactly. Yeah. So do your research and be honest about what uh, is practical for you. Yeah, and I, I, I love all of what you said. And I would add to this when my kids were young. They, you know, you have the say no to drugs, right? I always told my kids, if you don't think about this stuff ahead of time, you're going to cave at the moment, right? Your best friends, I'm making an analogy here, but your best friends do, you know, doing something he's not supposed to be, your kid's been told they shouldn't, but it's not, don't go over there to those people and do it. They're going to come to you and taunt you with it. When you're looking at dogs, they're going to shove a furry dog in your face. If you haven't made up your mind or, you know, hold steadfast, we get so emotional. It will not be your friend a year from now, maybe three weeks from now, when you bring home a dog that doesn't fit your lifestyle is very high maintenance or you're not prepared because you don't understand the training, whatever that is, it becomes a really big deal. And even those of us who have dogs wanted them, brought them in full, fully aware of what's involved have our moments where we're like, is this really right for my lifestyle? (laughs) (laughs) So I, very good points and just make, make these decisions ahead of time. Don't, don't go emotionally and just be like, Oh, the sky's the limit. My dog's going to choose me. That's all well and good. But two years from now, you may not feel as positive about that decision. Yeah. And you, you only see a snapshot when you go to visit a breeder or visit a shelter, um, you know, if you're holding the sleeping puppy and he's so cute, puppies wake up and then <laughs> they, they need to play <laughs> and then they grow up and then they need exercise. So don't, <laughs> don't spend the 10 minutes holding the sleeping puppy and go, Oh, this is exactly what I want. He's going to sleep in my arms every evening when I sit on the couch. Utopia, cue the unicorns and rainbows. Exactly. That's not reality. Oh, that's so, great, yeah. Tommy. What a Do way to research. finish that up. <laughs> <laughs> Sleeping puppies wake up, people. Exactly. Oh, that's great. <laughs> All right. Well, we're, we, we, go, we go on and on with this because we enjoy it. So I'm going to move into our next topic, which is pet peeves. And by the way, we're always happy to get your questions and email us, Animal Tales Podcast, or follow, you know, hit us up on any of the social media you find us on, which is all of it. And ask these questions and share this information. You may know somebody who's in this process right now, and we're just trying to provide some good information 
from the been there, done that folks who, uh, and help other people do that. All right. I'm moving on to our, our next topic we call pet peeves. <laughs> One of my favorite topics on the, sh- on the uh, podcast. So my pet peeve today, Tommy, you're going to laugh at this. No secret sauce. Oh, I love it. We, Tommy and I have had this expression since we've known each other. Somehow, one of our early conversations, we looked at each other and sharing training ideas or something we agreed with or didn't. There's no secret sauce. And what I say when I say that is those of us who get the job done do it more alike than differently. There's actually yeah. no secret magic sauce or bullet that's going to help you train your dogs in 10 minutes a day. That's the one I see now. And what made me think of that is because I'm getting all this social media from Big Brother that I, you know, dog training, animal training, best practices, it's all coming my way. I thought it was supposed to go the other way. I thought when I hashtagged, (laughs) it's supposed to go out to people who want to know this. Instead, I feel like it's coming back to me tenfold. (laughs) You've invited it into your life. (laughs) Oh, So anyhow, kind of funny, isn't it? But these training programs, you can train your dogs in 10 minutes a day. It really doesn't take that much time. It really doesn't. First of all, anything worthwhile takes time. We, we must know that. And also, you, you're not going to get the results if you don't put in the time, pretty much whatever it is. And in training, Tommy and I just have always looked at each other and said, there's no secret sauce. Those of us nope. who get the job done consistently and not a one hit wonder, not one dog or one horse. That's amazing. But replicate that over and over again with different breeds, different personalities, all of that. I, somebody hires me to train a horse in 15 weeks. I might be grunting and groaning about it, but I get the job done regardless of what that horse is or what that dog. Yeah. So I, I have a training program. I stick to it. It's based on universal methods best practices, our generational experience, but I try to keep it universal so that when those animals leave me, anybody with that knowledge base is going to be able to take them and work with them. So there is no secret sauce. No secret sauce. That's great. Yes. I thought you'd appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, All right. That's we're one on. of my favorite sayings. I, we say it often to each other and we're under training tips. So Tommy, give us a good training tip to close us out today. Yeah, so my training tip uh, goes along the lines of preparing your dog for all kinds of situations, uh, but specifically for the veterinarian. So when you go and take your dog to the veterinarian, you're going to see the assistant usually uh, is going to come in and have some kind of a restraint hold for the veterinarian to do the shots or for the other technician to trim their their toenails or for the do- the veterinarian to do an exam of their ears or their eyes. Uh, so there's some very common restraint holds that are, you know, not um, problematic for the dog. They're not invasive. They're not horrible. But what happens is the dog is not used to it. The dog is not used to the idea of restraint and they're, they get claustrophobic um, and they get worried. So that's something that you can practice at home and condition your dog to be used to the idea of being held in this particular way. Um, And there's lots of different holds. There's not a particular one that you need to practice. But what I would do is uh, get online. You can Google it. There's there's a lot of uh, resources out there for uh, 
you know, showing you what to do, but also look, watch when you take your dog to the veterinarian and ask for instruction on how to practice those at home. So that was one of the co most common things that we had problems with were uh, nail trims because Yeah. the dog has to hold first let their paw be handled which is a big deal um and then second let a, a person restrain them in a way that keeps both the dog and the uh technician safe so pay attention look at what those technicians are doing and then ask for help on learning how to condition your dog to accept that over time because it's not going